Oh, I hope you're ready to do some work for me. I'm not going to be doing all the talking up here. I'm just a farmer. I, I go out in the field and I talk to my scarecrows, and that's it for my talking. I don't you know, have long 45-minute dissertations like this, so you guys are going to help me out this morning. We're going to be doing some talking about a couple of words that are in the Bible, only you know, sparsely, but they're in the Bible nonetheless. So we can make this a Bible message, and it's going to be a topical message, topical message. So before we start anything, I just want to open a prayer, and then we're going to get your fingers ready to turn pages, and, and the sound people are going to go crazy because it's like, nobody's got a mic, and they're reading stuff, and well, anyway, get ready for being uptight. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. Uh, challenge us this morning, Father, by the thoughts that are being brought forth here. And then, Lord, be with me. Help me to do it as you would have it done. And I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first place we're going to turn, I want somebody to turn to Romans 14.12. Romans 14.12. And somebody else that wants to turn to someplace else, turn to Luke 23. Luke 23.7. All right, yeah, you're going to run around with the mic? Okay. Yeah. All right, who's going to read for us? Let's see, I can choose somebody. We can have somebody raise their hand. Read for us uh, Romans 14, 12. And I'm going to say things goofy here this morning because I found myself stopping at a green light over in Wilkett, so just, you know, bear with me. It's just, just the way it goes when you've when you got your mind occupied like, oh, I'm teaching a message today of some sort? Okay, who's got that 14, Pastor? So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. All right. Sounds kind of random there, but we're going to get back to that. All right, who's got 23? Luke 23, 7. There we go in the back. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. All right, thank you. Now, let's tie this all together. My message, first word, was we're going to give account. So the first word is accountability. The main part of the message really is on what was just read in the back there. He's going to have jurisdiction. You see, the word is jurisdiction. That's the only place I see it used in the Bible, jurisdiction. I didn't even think it was used in the Bible, but it's more or less a Roman sort of word, so it makes sense that these Roman leaders are using it. But jurisdiction means juris, law, dicto, which would be like dictate, spoken. So the one that's got the authority to speak the law has jurisdiction. You know, when kids are playing, it's like, you're not the boss. (laughs) All right, so put it in simple terms. You're not the boss. You don't have jurisdiction. You have your little kids running around saying, you don't have jurisdiction. All right, so that's what's going on here. We're going to use that word. And you got to, if you think in terms of jurisdiction, a lot of things in the world that are going on can kind of be put into a little box, maybe make sense out of. You can kind of deal with it, maybe. And we are, we are in a world right now that it's obvious there's a war going on. There's a, there is a, 
a terrible war going on in the surface. There is a terrible war going on in the spirit world. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Michael Evans. Okay, Michael Evans. He's a very interesting character to me. I don't know what his denominational platform is. But he, years before Benjamin Netanyahu even thought about politics, something very interesting happened in his life. Benjamin Netanyahu was the prime minister of Israel for years. It was unprecedented. Was it four or five, maybe five or more going on to sixth term or something like that? Unprecedented, okay? So here he is. His brother was killed in an um, Israeli operation trying to free hostages from a, from a plane. And his brother was killed. He was, he was, his brother was Jonathan Ben. Benjamin Netanyahu, and he was in charge of the men that were going in to free the people, the hostages from this plane that was taken down years ago, back in the, I can't, I can't remember if it was the 70s or what it was. It was way back. And he was the only casualty. So this man, Michael Evans, he, he was a man that believes that God is speaking to him and telling him to do various things. And one of the things that Michael Evans did he was a Jewish man. Michael Evans is a Jewish man. His grandfather was burned to death in Holocaust times in one of Hitler's little surround the church, lock them up, burn them all down. And that was in a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. That was the type of thing that happened. His grandfather, so he has that background that, okay, he knows it personally, how it feels. His mother had to deal with that. He was raised in an abusive situation. The father was ungodly and just, you know, abused him. But the mother was a godly Jewish woman, and Michael became a Christian. So in Michael's upbringing, he encountered, um, uh, I want to keep this kind of focused. I've got just a little time to say a lot of things. So anyway, getting back to Michael Evans. Michael Evans, he was led by God to go to Israel and meet with the, I believe it was the prime minister, and he was just so compelled to go that he went and he had the appointment. And the prime minister says, I believe it was the prime minister, says, you know, two offices there. I think it was the prime minister. And he said, what are you here for? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> God sent me to you, but I don't know why. And the man said to him, finally, I've met an honest person. <laughs> you know, he could have made something up. He says, oh, you know, God wants me to but he, 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 he knew he had a message, but he didn't know what it was and how to express it. Now, I believe he came back later with what it was because the man said to him, okay, when you get that straight, you know, come back and tell me what it was. Well, I believe it was on that very visit, he went to the home of Jonathan Benjamin Netanyahu, or not Netanyahu, and he met with young Benjamin there, and he said, God has told me, that you are going to be the prime minister of Israel. And he anointed him with oil. Okay, that's the type of background that Michael Evans has. God would lead him to do things like that. That was long before Benjamin Netanyahu even had any idea he was going to be in politics of any sort. So I say that because that was the long way around to say who Michael Evans is. Michael Evans is a person that realizes there is a spirit war going on against Israel and we can see it on the surface, the things that are going on against Israel with you know, all the outward destruction and all the different things. And, and we know everything focuses on Israel and all the world, all the history, everything. 
Now, we've heard, you know, leading up to the time that I could come and stand before you here and be a teacher, uh, I was listening to all the messages coming in way back from Brother Spurgeon, and, and he was saying things like, keep the first things first, right? And I can just trace different messages right up to the point where I can stand here and say, wow, every message that I heard has something to do with the things that I have to bring today. Keep the first things first. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And all of us are accountable. There's our first word, accountable to God. All of us have to give account. All of us have to answer whether or not we have put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to take care of our sin problem because God has the ultimate jurisdiction over the whole world, over everybody, over every king, over every principality and power. God has the jurisdiction. He is the boss. And all of us give account. So with some of that platform laid, let's move on to some other verses in the Bible that talk about this topic. Let's look in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21. Deuteronomy 21. Now, sometimes with jurisdiction, things are just hard to figure out. And we're in a world right now where things are just so messed up. Should I wear a mask? Shouldn't I wear a mask? Who's telling me to do this? Some real authority, some fake authority. Should I challenge it? Should I challenge the vaccination? Should I take it? You know, everybody's got different things they've got to do with that. They've got to all answer before God. You're all accountable to God. And in, and in that answer, that's where the unity we have because God is our head. Jesus Christ is our head. He is our leader. And in that we have unity, not whether or not we decide one way or another on these issues. But we all have to give account before God on these things. Now let me jump ahead a little bit in my message. Let me mess things up a little bit here. Think about this. When Jesus said to his disciples, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God, they were looking at a coin. And he said, what was the question he asked? Whose image is on this? Whose image is on you? Yeah. You've got to render unto God the things that are God, right? You in your body, you render unto God what's his. He has jurisdiction over your body. And he says, take care of it. This is good. This is right. This is proper. You know, the body is not bad. The flesh is bad. You understand the difference? Your body was made, we say it's made in the image of God, and it's good, and God made things that are good. But the flesh is that thing where the world, the flesh and the devil, it kind of influences the way you think, the way you deal with the hormones, deal with the body. It's like, oh, that's the flesh. It's bringing me the wrong way. The body itself is good. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost, right, that's within you. The Spirit of God dwells within you, and he that defiles the temple, God will 
Yeah, he's going to judge that. He doesn't want that. God has jurisdiction over you, body and spirit. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, right? Okay, so just a little side there. We're going to maybe get back to that. But there's so many things I want to say here that time is not going to afford for everything. So we'll just move on and, and just keep focusing on different things. Now, the big thing, one thing I don't want to forget in all this thing I'm, time I have here is the word repentance. Repentance. Now, we, we, we're keeping first things first, that we, of course, have to repent towards God and, and be saved, born again. Each one of us have to have that relationship with God. But repentance is so important in the Bible. Who was the greatest man that was ever born, according to Jesus? Can you think? Matthew 11.11. Turn to Matthew 11.11. And maybe I got the right reference. Matthew 11, 11. Anybody got that? Ed, what do you got? Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath, thanks, got my attention now, <laughs> not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All right, very good. Thank you. So taking the first part of that statement, that he was the greatest. You know, he was not afraid to confront the world around him. He was not afraid to stand up to the Pharisees, to religious leaders, and tell them they needed to repent. He was not afraid to stand up to kings and say, you need to repent. How about you? <laughs> Made in the image of God. You're God's child. And if he's the greatest, and we are part of that kingdom of God, <laughs> how much more are we to say, hey, you're doing wrong. You're, you're not right. This is what the right way is. This is what is true. This is good. This is righteous. All right, now hold that thought. Let's go to our Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21 is talking about some things where it's a little confusing. What do we do? And here you find it starts out by talking about a dead man. A dead man is found. Is that what you got there in 21? I got the right reference, 21? Okay. The first five verses just explain what's happening there. The dead man is found, so on. And, and what are we going to do about it? What's verse 6 say? Can somebody read that for us? Ed, uh, Don, Don. And all the elders of the city that are next to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer and that, it, that is beheaded in the valley. Is that verse 6? That's verse 6. Okay. Maybe it was verse 5 then. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 5? Yeah, please. And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him, and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. Yes, that's what I want to thank you. So what's happening here, the man is found dead. They measure, this is God's prescribed way, they measure to the nearest city to find out who's in charge of this dead man. All right, whose jurisdiction does it fall under? You know, just like it was with, with Pilate and Herod. Whose jurisdiction? Who's responsible? Who's going to take charge of this 
this unsolved mystery. And it's important, and we're going to see why it's important. Now, we don't want to see people dying around us like that with nobody giving account for what happened, who's going to take charge of it. But with God, he cares about sin. He doesn't want to see sin, murder, things happening like that. Cain and Abel, remember he confronts Cain and he says, I'm going to paraphrase, I hear the blood of your brother crying out of the ground. To God, when there's a murder, when there's innocent blood, he cares about that. That's not a good thing in God's sight. That's not right. That's not righteous. He cares about that stuff. So here we find the body. It's dead. And we've got to deal with it because God cares about that. And he's got them set up so that the elders of the city are going to deal with it. And he talks about the priests and the Levites because he gave them jurisdiction over that case, how to deal with it. And it, it was important, the words that you look at those words in verse 5 there, it talks about those, those that were given uh, responsibility or charge or whatever over those particular situations, the Levites, the priests. And it makes us think also about, go back to Miriam and, and, uh, and Aaron and, and Moses. And remember when Miriam was saying, you know, you take too much upon yourself, Moses, and she suffered the consequences of a rebellion there, right? Well, we all, we all have rebellion going within us, and we're always totally repenting, 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 coming back to God because we want to fight against that rebellion. Rebellion, that's a word uh, we, we don't want to have, but we want to have repentance, repentance, repentance. So key. Now, before I lose track here of, of my thoughts, repentance is what God requires of us. John the Baptist, the greatest man, he came preaching repentance. And the, the whole nation of Israel was hearing about repentance. When Jesus came, he said, repent. As he likewise perished, repent. He talked about repent. I don't know how many times, we could probably figure that out by looking at our concordance, how many times Jesus said repent. And that was important. Then, what is the message that the early church Christians went forth with repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep first things first, right? So that is so important, right? Just now, let's move on with our text here. We got up to verse 5, 6. Let's go down to verse 9 now and skip ahead and see what they've done after they've dealt with the heifer and all the different things they had to do. So let me read verse 9 for me. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, when thou shalt do, do what which is right in the sight of the Lord. I love that. The last words you read there, what is right in the sight of the Lord. See, they had to deal with this dead person. They had to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. What's that the definition for? We're putting the definition before the word. What, we're kind of playing, what is that, Jeopardy? What, what is right in the sight of the Lord? Thank you. Righteousness, we de define it as right in the sight of the Lord. You know, if you look in Webster's, what is it, 1828 dictionary, whatever. If you look there, they say righteousness is very much like holiness. Okay? Very similar. Separate it from sin, separate it unto God. Righteousness is right, doing right. 
Now let's, let's, let's take a little stretch of your mind here. The enemy wants to mess with you. The enemy wants to make you think wrong things. They'll take words and they will mess those words up and make you think wrong thoughts with those words. If I said to you insurrection, what would you think of? Yeah. What would you think of in current events? The insurrection. Rebellion. Yeah, rebellion, you'd think of that. What current events would you think of? Yeah. January 6th. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> I thought everybody would just like, January 6th, they use that word so much for what happened January 6th. <laughs> How many guns were shot in January 6th? <laughs> was it one of uh, Patriots? No, it was, it was from the police, from the Washington, D.C. police. There was no insurrection, but yet, we're programmed by the enemy, <laughs> the principalities and powers that be, the ones that are working in the minds of the children of disobedience in the world, to think that was an insurrection. No, that was entrapment. <laughs> big difference there, big difference. It was made to look like, now listen, entrapment can be used for you guys, infiltration, infiltration. Now let me just explain for those who are not clear with what I'm talking about here. January 6th, there were people planted throughout that million people crowd, a million patriots. Don't think patriots are, is a bad word now because that's what the enemy wants you to think. Oh, you're a patriot? Yeah, you're probably one of those wicked insurrectionists or whatever. <laughs> Don't get messed up in the words. Patriot's a good thing. God wants patriotism. He wants you to stand with your nation. He wants you to stand up with the authority that's over you. He wants that. That's something that we can demonstrate. If we had more time, we can do that. But he wants, he wants us obeying authority. And our president said, come to Washington. Come to Washington. We are there, going there, to support righteousness, that the right thing would be done. The right thing would be done. And that's what it was all about. Now, the enemy, those that want to destroy righteousness, were told not to show up because they would have been dealt with as terrorists. Our president said that, don't show up because if we find you, you're going to be dealt with this. As and so it's like, okay. So the people that are there are looking around for, where are they hiding? Where are they? They didn't realize they had been infiltrated. They were dressed up like them. They looked like them. They were, they were wolves in sheep's clothing right there among them. That's what happened. Also, the last count I heard was 75 FBI members were dressed up like Trump supporters, and they had bracelets on apparently so they could identify each other. And these people were actually giving messages to the people that were in the crowd saying, okay, you're supposed to do this, okay, you're supposed to do that, and trying to use kind of the <clears throat> herd mentality to, to move them into a position and then cause a lot of trouble and make it look like the patriots were the bad guys. Now I say that because expect it again. Expect it again for you and I. We, we have to face a world now where you might be labeled as a bad guy. It happened in, uh, I mentioned Hitler already. 
During those days, the Jewish people were made to look like the bad guys. Things were burned down. The Jewish people were blamed for that. It's like, oh, now we have reason to go after them. You see, right now the world has developed a, a scheme to say, now we have to go after the patriots. We've labeled them as bad guys, even though they've done nothing, nothing wrong. Uh, as Christians, um, again, we were, we were talking about uh, Second Amendment things going on now. They're trying so much to strip us of the Second Amendment type rights. And when I say the word rights, we've been dealing with that, maybe again, the way the enemy wants us to deal with that word rights. How about thinking of it in terms of righteousness? Is it righteous that your neighbor can defend himself? Let's not be thinking about ourself. You know, when you think about yourself, that's where the enemy wants you thinking in terms of rights. Oh, me. How about righteousness and rights? Those people should be able to defend themselves. You can look around the rest of the people in the country and say, there's two, three million illegals, and a lot of them are terrorists. Those people in my country should be able to defend themselves. It's right. So please, when we look at things here, don't get this idea that, oh, I'm entangling myself in the world and the world affairs if I stand up to the Second Amendment. That's got nothing to do with God's word. Yes, it does. Politics is all about how we're treating our neighbors. If you look in some of Dr. Dobson's things, he's, I wouldn't say he's you know, a born-again Christian and all that. He's a godly man with his belief system and all. I don't know his testimony so much at this point. But I've followed him over the years, and he's very politically on track with things the way we should do things. He's got a lot of good ideas. And he would define politics in his, not specifically him, but his organization, as how we're treating our neighbor. And God says to love your neighbor. And if we're going to be loving our neighbor, we have to look in the scheme of how things are running in the world. Politics, we call it. And we, again, that word politics to us is like, oh, that's a bad word. But no, as we'll see, we'll get back to this. That's something that we should be involved in. Now let's get back to our text here. Deuteronomy 21. Let's look at verse nine again. I believe we, we read that about the righteousness. Let's read that again. Okay, is that, is that right? Is that what we're on there? We don't have to read it out loud if that's what it is. Somebody give me a nod if that's what we got there. Okay, so we dealt with the idea that that's righteousness, and we want to look at the idea that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. All right, let's, let's, let's think about some of these things God wants to you know, in, in Israel, in terms of Israel, we see things that are being said to Israel, but there's principles that go on as we follow the things of God in those, in those principles. Um, for example, with, uh, is it First Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land, Right? Okay, so there again we have repentance, turning back to God because he wants to bless the land. Now, we, I believe Pastor was preaching a great, a lot of great messages we've heard. Uh, Pastor Kinney was talking about Psalm 107 there in one of his recent messages. Look at Psalm 107, verse 34, something I was, again, you know, a lot of times I'm reading my Bible and I'm just talking to God, and just at the time I'm talking to him, he's talking back to me in his words like, wow, I never saw that before. Look at Psalm 107, verse 34. Psalm 107, while you're turning there, there's a lot in there about a people having provision, 
they fall into sin, and they cry out to God, and God brings deliverance, right? You see that again and again, cycles of there. One will say, oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men, right? It's in there again and again. I love that. Now look at that, 34. Who's going to read that for us? Thank you. for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. All right. Now, hang on there. I'm going to have you read actually three verses. So now, that's the key verse. But look at the verse in front of it. Look at the verse after it. You're going to see kind of a mirror going on here. I like this. He turneth rivers into wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. Thank you. You see how it was good? There was wickedness. <laughs> but then again, God could turn it either way he wants. He could turn the wilderness into water. He could turn the water into a wilderness. He can do that, and it all depends if we're repentant or not. It seems to be that's what's in God's word, that God blesses according to the nature of our heart, our being. And when we look at our land, our country, our politics, our decisions that we're stuck with right now, we find that repentance is the key. It's not by some insurrection. It's not by some civil war. Now, let me, let me say this to you right now. We don't want lawlessness. We don't want that to happen. The enemy, the principalities and powers that are working again, the children of disobedience in this world, they are working their hearts so much to make civil war and unrest and division and all that stuff. We've seen it and it's uncomfortable to us, yes. But watch out for it when they're playing with the Second Amendment and trying to mess that up. Here, here's how the plan goes. This, according to the way that they do things, they use the good and innocent as a human shield. You saw it in Ukraine. You know, you hear all about the Russians were blasting all the people and so on. And what's happening over there, and I don't know where it stands right now. I haven't heard. I've been busy with other things. I haven't turned into the news to see what's going on right now. But human shields, a lot of innocent people, for example, the way you use a human shield is you set up a uh, military operation base in like a a children's facility. It's like, okay, now are we supposed to shoot back or not? No, they're using those children's facility, children, whatever, as a human shield. Oh, you won't shoot us. And then when they do, it's like, oh, look how bad they are. They've... So let's put that into modern day terms. Many of you have guns. It is your Second Amendment right. Um, there's a lot of wickedness and riot. They could stir up a lot of riot. This is what they could do. They could stage, they could stage in a place where patriots are being attacked by somebody that's not armed. Let's say they're being attacked by Black Lives Matter without arms. And it's like, oh, you know, there's some riot going on, some storefront, some, somebody's house that's being broken into, and they're not armed. And then perhaps Antifa or somebody else fires a shot. They're armed, and they stir up trouble. It's like the first shot that was fired at Lexington, okay? Our founding fathers had to deal with stuff like this. The first shot was fired. And these patriots say, okay, 
self-defense, fire back. That is the start of a civil war. See how simple it is? It's like they fired on us, those patriots. It's like, yeah, we were shot upon. We were defending ourselves. And that's how entrapment happens. That's how, how, how the enemy works. You are innocent. You're doing what is right. You're defending something that is right to defend. The next thing you know, you're in the midst of a, a, a word war, and you are the enemy, and you are in trouble. So we want to watch out for stuff like that. We want to know the, the playbook of the enemy. Now, there's a warfare going, yeah, yeah, a spirit war, you know, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And that's what we're facing right now. We see the strongholds in the world. It's just all these decisions and things that we have to face. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you will lose your job. Some of you will face even harder questions in the future as we face the different things that these principalities and powers are putting on us. So let's just keep things in the focus of jurisdiction. Who has decision-making power in these things? Let's look at it this way. When you look at, let's look at um, a very familiar place we've gone to so many times, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's turn there quickly. And I want you to see the, the, the whole armor of God in terms of what's being said around there. And I want you to see it in terms of authority, structure, and jurisdiction, and accountability. What do we start out with? Children? Children obey your parents. Right? We start with the children. Children are under the parents' jurisdiction. They are to give account to the parents, and ultimately they're giving account to God how well they're doing with that. Each one of us are in that situation. Each one of us. And it moves on and talks about what's the next authority structure we see there. Hmm? Fathers. Okay, there's, there's much in the scripture about fathers raised them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and uh, fathers, you have responsibility. You have jurisdiction over your family. There's, God has ordained the family. Fathers have that decision-making power. Now listen, if somebody's pressing on you to say, oh, your child needs this vaccination, your child needs this, your child needs that. When I was raising up my kids, and I know things were a little different then. It's still the same playbook, though. It's still the same same pressures and same troubles. You know, sometimes you have to appeal to authority. Sometimes you've got to do like what Daniel did and say, okay, you're forcing me to have this food, but how about you try it, test it, and, and let me show you my way and show you that this will be better. Sometimes you can do that. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just got to go and do the right thing. And I, we were challenged when my daughter was eating mushrooms as a little girl and hallucinating. <laughs> we brought her, I think, to the doctor, and she got checked, and... Things are fine. I think later on they called us up, and I think it was like a conference call. It's like, oh, how is she doing? I think you should bring her down here. It's like, no, she's fine. We're watching her. She's good. And I had to stand up to this non-authority. You know, a doctor's order is not authority. That's not jurisdiction. That's just what's best for you, and you make the decision. You have jurisdiction over your body. And don't let some government health organization tell you they have jurisdiction. No. This is where you challenge it. In our country, we have constitutional setups where we challenge things that are not constitutional. We have a great thing there to work with. That's called being lawful. That's where you work within the framework of what you're given, and we are given responsibility to work within that framework. So anyway, I had to stand up against the doctors and say, no, she's fine. Um, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, they're going to be knocking my door and taking her away because we're child abuse. We're not, you know... 
And that's the way it is in this world. If you're not doing the education right, if you're not doing the medicines right, all that stuff, somebody's watching and saying, oh, you're abusing. But somebody has to stand up. And this is where I'm charging you today. I'm saying, look, figure out who has the jurisdiction in your case. See what God wants. See if it's time to stand up against this so-called authority and challenge it and determine what is the right thing to do. And that, and that something else that came out in preaching over the last few weeks is Sometimes you just got to have the peace in your heart of God to understand, yes, you're on the right track. You've got this word to stand up to that. You've got the word of God to, to back up what you're doing, and you just move forward. And if, and if fathers are having jurisdiction over their children and some medical person saying, uh, bring them in here, we want to, you know, whatever. No, I have the, I have the final say, and, I, and it's like, no, even though you may do something unconstitutional to take my child away, I'm standing up and saying, no, I'm going to protect my child from what you want to do. People are being forced to vaccinate their children with these, I'll call them a death jab, death jab. No, there's no reason for that. And you can look at the statistics. There's no reason to give a child this COVID vaccine. It's only a harmful idea. Don't let your children go through something like that. I can stand here before God and say, don't let that happen. You know, be a, be a man, be, a, be a, a mother, whatever, and just say, I have jurisdiction. I know this is not good. There's no reason to do this. So that's kind of, you know, the type of decisions, the type of decisions that we're being pushed into now because of the principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. And now let me, let me just show you something here. A while ago, Brother Don, he referred me to Gary Lawson. He said, listen to what he has to say about Agenda 2030. You know, by a show of hands, can you raise your hand if you know what Agenda 2030 is here? Anybody? Agenda 2030. I thought maybe you get an idea what's going on. Agenda 2030 is something that, again, before I get into Agenda 2030, let's talk about the word entanglement. Sometimes as Christians, and I think very much we as Christians, we say don't be entangled with the things of the world here. Uh, is it First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, that says a good soldier does not entangle himself with the things of the world, but he tries to please his master, right? We're trying to please our master, Jesus Christ, in all that we do. We're trying to be righteous. We looked a little bit about that, how they were trying to be righteous in their land and so on. We want to do what's right. Um, this is what happens. I'll be talking along. It's like, what was I talking about? I, I got it. I just want to get back to it. <laughs> uh, righteousness. Um, hmm. Oh, it's a good thing I wanted to say, whatever it was. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I didn't hear you, Judy. Entanglement. Thank you. The word entanglement, I was trying to develop what that was all about. Yeah. So entanglement there, again, with that word right and righteousness, a lot of times we've been pushed on the idea that rights are maybe our personal rights, where we're not looking at what other people are benefiting from those rights. Let's look at it in terms of others. Entanglement also can be looked at in those terms. Entanglement can be like, what am I getting out of this? Entanglement is really... You focusing on things like your rights and saying, that's mine. I'm going to fight to keep that right because that's mine. How about fighting for somebody else or fighting what God says is right? That's not entanglement. 
And that's how we have to define the difference here. We have to look at things. When you look at the terms of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 7, it talks about marriage, and it talks about how the husband seeks to please his wife, and the wife seeks to please his husband. That's kind of giving us a little idea of what I'm talking about here. When we are seeking to please God, we're not entangled. So as we look at the big picture in a nation view, if we're looking at it in a personal perspective, we're entangled. But if we're looking at it in terms of what is right and what is righteous, we are free to move forward and do what has to be done. You know, a lot of times you think about uh, the term women and children first, like when the Titanic was sinking and things like that. They were trying to take care of the women and children first. Those men were taking care of protecting the society that was there with them at that time. And that is more or less what we are called to do. We want to have a, a world where righteousness and right things are done. And we have a framework to work within and we have a constitution uh, to work within and to uphold. So with entanglement, involvement is not entanglement if you're doing it for the right reason. Again, repentance is important so that our heart is right, so that what we're doing in the things of the world is not for us, not a selfish thing, but more of a broad look at what God says is right. Frameth mischief by a law. You know, that's a phrase that when I read that in Psalm 94, I say, what does that mean? Frameth mischief by a law. Turn over to Psalm 94 quickly. I only have a few more minutes to talk. Is that right? We go to about 20 after or so? That we do? Okay. I'll try to finish up with some of these thoughts. Let's look at verse 17 of Psalm 94. All right, I'm going to read this part for you, just to move along quickly. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Here we go, verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with them that frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense. The Lord is my defense. The Lord is my defense. I can stop right there because the Lord is my defense. Now listen, I just want to swing back to Agenda 2030 and finishing here. And I always wondered, why in the world does it look like everybody is on the same page against what's right? And when I studied Agenda 2030 through Gary Lawson and then looking at it myself, putting it up on the computer, I saw a framework there that the powers that be in the world are all orchestrating, working together to tear us apart. So let me just uh, give you an idea of some of those things. Create a problem, provoke terrified response, impose lockdowns, exaggerate cases, mandate masks, impose contact tracing, health passports, buy or sell permission, give big pharma protection, 
cashless economy, radio frequency identification implants, control of mankind with technology, communism in a technological way. We've seen a lot of that play out. That was kind of their agenda. That is laid out in Agenda 2030. 2030 means the year they want to accomplish that type of thing. How do they do that? They use some of Saul Alinsky's methods. You know who Saul Alinsky is? Okay, he writes things like back in 1971, he writes things like how to basically start a revolution and change things. And to finish up, let me just tell you his methods here and see if it sounds like something you've experienced. Okay, these are his rules for radicals, and I have six rules I want to quickly read for radicals. Number one, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. So just think about those fighting against what's right and if these things are visible to you. Never go outside the expertise of your people. So in other words, they're just staying within the realm of their people, that their foot soldiers, let's say. Whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. Have you been challenged? You go out there on the street and people are trying to give you a question beyond what you can answer. You know, They're trying to kind of make you feel, oh, I doubt what I'm saying now. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. It's like, yeah, we have to be the good guys, and the bad guys can do anything to try to attack us. They don't have any rules. Ridicule is man's most potent weapon. Okay. We can't logically discuss things, so let's just yell louder and riot. A good tactic is one your people enjoy. Yeah, you can see the opposition to righteousness just enjoying their wickedness, right? So those are Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals, and that's the type of thing that's being imposed through Agenda 2030, and that's why it looks like things are orchestrated. Now, we can go on and on and talk about more and more things here, but we want to focus on first things first. You have to be a righteous people in an unrighteous world. You have to make decisions based upon what God's word shows you. There are structures of authority God has set up here through family, through church authority, Right? There's a whole structure there. God has given us, and we've heard this, of course. I didn't focus on that at all. But our pastors have authority over us, and we are to obey their oversight, their overseers. Okay, We could have developed that whole area. And then, of course, government. We focus a lot on government because that's an area that we will not talk about here because it may cause division. I'm not here to cause division here. I'm asking you to keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, our leader, and let him orchestrate to you how you personally have to deal with this crazy world we're living in now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the rain that's pouring down. We so much needed on this land. We've been a dry barrenness. My crops, Lord, are very dry, and I thank you for this. I pray that that's falling up there too. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill us with a, a whole new passion for more than just thinking the first things first is preaching the gospel message, but rather, Father, living the gospel message, that we will do what's right and be as John the Baptist and not only hear the words and live the words of salvation, but also of loving our neighbor as you call the second commandment, Father. Help us to be a good people in this world. Help us to do things like see what we can do in our political picture, whether it be voting on, on Tuesday in the primaries or whatever it might be, Father, taking 
charge of our particular government and doing things within it that would be pleasing to you, not for our own selfish means, Father, but for what you call righteousness in our land and that you would bless us because of that. Help us to be, of course, keeping first things first. And as we do that work, help us, Father, to be faithful stewards of the things you've charged us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, okay. Pastor, you got it. I'm right behind you. Yes, he um, he's coming back. I just want to say, um,